listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, June the 20th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we have some new phones here, and we're having trouble getting a hold of Wes Reimnitz. So, Wes, if you're listening to me, just hold on. We've got the experts checking it out, and we should get a hold of you pretty quick. In the meantime, I had uh, preached a sermon on Tuesday about my aortic valve replacement. And I'm just still astonished by it that rather than an open heart surgery, which was I, which I was advised to do, they instead did what they call going up through the leg to the heart and putting a new valve in. I was just really, really happy with that. And and so I did a sermon on that on Tuesday. And if individuals would like to have a copy of that sermon, uh, either on a CD or written out, email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And the reason for that is because there is information in the sermon, a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, but more importantly, about this kind of new procedure here in the United States, rather than open-heart surgery, going up through the leg and fixing the heart. And open-heart surgery, as I indicated you're down three to four months, whereas this procedure is overnight. I'm not kidding. I had it in the morning at 10.30, and the following day, I went home. And I've been feeling really good, and I think, I tell you, those doctors, I just have such faith in, because they really know what they were doing. But it's something that... Um, some people have been asking about whether or not I'd be willing to share this. I actually preached a similar sermon on the, my health concerns to six congregations this week. And we finished the last two last night. And so that's kind of what it is. It's a new procedure. They've been doing it in Europe for some time, but... I already was in conversation long distance with some people who were going to approach their doctor and see if it was available in their area. Uh, one woman phoned me, and I looked it up on Google, and sure enough, there were three hospitals in her area that uh, we could get to. So right now, we're just waiting for Wes Reimnitz to get on the line. You know, maybe one thing that could be done, I don't know with this new phone system, that, Wes, maybe you could phone us here, and then we'd get you on the line. 1-800-730-2727. 1-800-730-2727. And we definitely want the system working simply because uh, tomorrow is Open Mic Friday. And we'll want to be talking to people who 
have questions about what we had discussed during this week. On Monday, of course, we talked about the lessons for this coming Sunday. On Tuesday, the hymn of the day. On Wednesday, we dealt with a parable, one of my favorite parables, because unless you know Near Eastern culture, you'll never figure this parable out. On Thursday, which is today, we were hoping to talk about the curse of knowledge. So I'm going to start with that. And I know that Wes Reimnitz has the article itself. And we'll see if we can get him on the line here. But let me just share with you a couple of things that we're uh, dealing with on the reverse of the curse of knowledge. Isn't that interesting? The reverse of the curse of knowledge. And... He's here. Are you on, Wes? Okay. We're just struggling here a little bit, and don't worry about it. It's part of what happens when we get new systems. <laughs> okay. What is the curse of knowledge? Let, let me summarize it in this way. Hello? Oh, Wes, are you on? Wes? I think I heard you. Yeah, let's just see if he uh, comes back on here in a moment. No, I can't. It I just did. I can hear you, Wes, but you can't hear me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We got some things to push down, and we'll keep working on it. In the meantime, let me share what the curse of knowledge is. The curse of knowledge is, as you go through school, you begin to learn things. And the curse of knowledge is that you forget when you are ignorant of certain items. And when you are ignorant of certain items, then you just assume that everybody knows what you are saying, when in reality that's not really occurring, because they haven't been trained in this. Okay. Are you on right now, Wes? I can hear you now, Tom. He can hear me now. Thank you very much. And we'll have to have you ready tomorrow for Open Mic Friday, sure. Okay. <laughs> Not you. I'm talking oh. to Mr. Bates, who just fixed the problem. We got new phones here, and so some of us were, you know, not quite sure how to use them. Right. I tried calling in, but nobody answered. Yes. Yes, yeah, a new phone system, and you know what happens with new things sometimes. Oh, yes. Okay. What the curse of knowledge is, is that you become ignorant uh, when you were once ignorant of something. So, what? Yeah, let, let me give an example. This was Trinity Sunday this past week. Right. And have you ever heard of the genus Apostolicum? Yeah, ministerium, yeah. Yes. This is a way in which pastors on the basis of Scripture, have come to understand how when Jesus ascended into heaven, the attributes of the divine were shared with the human. In other words, in his humanity, he is everywhere. In his humanity, he knows all things. In right. his humanity, he's all-powerful. But if I did a sermon on that, 
people would say at the end of it, what was he talking about? <laughs> That's the mm. curse of knowledge that you just assume, particularly people in the Lutheran church, are at the same level that you are because you've known it for so long. And the problem is, is trying to teach someone when you have higher expectations of what they already know can really be a problem. Right. Well, even in there, that's that's been a problem for almost 2,000 years, talking about Jesus and his humanity and also as God. Right. Now, there is a way to understand that, and we really have it well summarized in the Athanasian Creed. But you can always tell when a pastor is under this curse of knowledge. At the end of the sermon, somebody will ask another member of the parish, what was he talking about? Talking and they about. say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the point was. <laughs> and, and that's because a lot of times sermons are doctrinal at a level higher than what an individual may be cognizant of. In fact, so you're, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, here a while back, I was preaching at a ch- church, and I the elder was helping me bag everything up, and I said, you know, I'm about ready to give it in. He says, why is that? He says, I'm not sure I'm reaching people. He says, I understood everything you said. He said you broke it down into language that I could understand, and he started to recount the sermon right back to me. Yes, that that often can happen, but it doesn't happen enough. Enough, right. Yeah, it's a a gift that a pastor gets over time as he tries to get into the mind of his laity. And uh, one of the ways I like doing it is I begin every sermon with a question that most parishioners get wrong. And when they get it wrong, it gives me the opportunity to share the right answer from the biblical point of view. And and therefore, guess what's happened with that sermon? It has stuck. Sermons that stick are those that people remember. And they say, you know, that's a really good point you made. And I'll tell you, from there on, a lot of times they don't forget it. Like I always enjoy Mark chapter 10. It's very clear Jesus says, you want to get to heaven, give all your money to the poor and come follow me. And I've even heard stewardship sermons that give that as the teaching. Whereas what Jesus is saying, this is the sin that you have that you're unable to get rid of. And therefore, the only way that you can be saved is to get rid of your trust in your money and trust instead in me. Right. Yeah. And I, I've noticed, uh, well, that kind of reminds me of, of a parishioner that I had many years ago. Mm-hmm. He was he was generous. I mean, every, all I had to do was point to him and they they would talk. The congregation would talk generous. He passed away. And I asked the family for one item out of his his house and they they said what was that i said his bible yes because the the, the thumbprint you know the dirt and the oil that came off it looked like it was a dirty old bible yes but uh, i wanted to see what he, he had written in there yeah he hadn't he hadn't, he hadn't underlined anything really yeah 
you know, and it stumped me for a while as to just what what did uh, he really what really caused him to to be so generous as as one of God's people. Then I heard his children sing. Guess what song they sang? What? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to underline the Bible to get a lot out of it. No doubt about it. And one of the things that um, is found in this article that we're examining is that most members of the congregation are really a work in progress in the sense that they're ready for the milk of the word, but not solid food. Mm. So you and I, if I talk to you about, you know, we're having another problem today with Arianism. You're going to know what I'm talking about, but the vast majority of people in the parish will not because they haven't been trained. And when a pastor just talks in this way, he's really under the curse of knowledge, thinking that what he knows, all other Lutherans should know. And yet it's just going right over their heads. And the other thing is, who fought uh, Arius? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be taught. But it's not part of a sermon. It's more okay. of a Bible study because you got people in the congregation, uh, a mother who just found out her daughter's pregnant out of wedlock or a father who found out his son was arrested for drugs and giving an understanding of what the Trinity is is not really a sermon as it would be in giving an understanding of what the Trinity did for you. It's a huge difference. So the goal of the preacher is to be understood by their hearers. And therefore, when they're understood, then it will stick to them. You know, a lot of times we hear about professors teach from ivory towers, which means, you know, a lot of people don't understand what they're saying. And uh, the way this article puts it, we should avoid preaching from atop Mount Everest when most of our parishioners are in Death Valley. Death Valley, exactly. So one of the ways I do it is by a question, which then I answer during the sermon. Another way, and I borrow this from Jesus, of course, he used a lot of parables, everyday events that made the point that he was making. Like, let's take, for example, the teaching that some churches have today, that you become a child of God by inviting Christ into your heart. And you Mm -hmm. even see these prayers on television. Well, Jesus did a parable of the lost sheep. And he goes out and finds the lost sheep. The lost sheep did not invite Jesus into his fold. Jesus picked up the lost sheep. And the way that I get this across to people who think you have to invite Christ into your heart, I said, when was the time that you remember that your children invited you to be their parents and wanted to be your child? Child. Yeah, another one that that, that you use that I, I think is quite apt is the man who finds the treasure in the field. Right. Yeah, a lot of people... They get law and gospel mixed up. They think the Bible is talking about us. 
that we're the ones who find the treasure, which is the message of forgiveness, etc. But a closer look at the uh, text shows that we're the treasure and Jesus finds us. And we do not cooperate in our salvation and we do not contribute to our salvation any more than a baby that is adopted contributes to their salvation. Right. And that's one thing that the article makes a, a strong point in is that we see the Bible not as 66 books, but uh, filled with many stories, but it is one story. Yes. That's why Jesus, on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, explaining to them at their level the necessity of the cross used Old Testament Bible passages. I mean, when you read Isaiah 53, it becomes very clear because it says that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, he became sin for us. And therefore, when he died, it was as though we were on the cross and that we were buried in the grave, which, by the way, is what happens in baptism, according to Romans chapter 6. 6, yeah. So the whole Bible is a story about Jesus. Exactly. It's all about Jesus, about how he saved us. I think the most important element of Christianity, and this separates us from every other religion in the world, is that we believe, teach, and confess there is no work that ever gets you to heaven or sends you to hell. Right. Yeah, also, you know, I mean, you talk about getting the question right or wrong, and then it sticks, but also you you do a lot of sermon illustrations, and uh, the one that always sticks with me is the one on baptism and adoption. Yeah, how we are adopted as to God's children, and you talk about the the baby not being able to to approve its adoption. Yes, the baby doesn't choose the parents. The parents choose the baby, and that's exactly the way Christianity works. Now, there are many questions that people may have about that, but we believe that God, being supreme and of all authority, He has a reason for whatever he does. We may not know that reason while we're here on earth, but we will come to know it when we get into the heavenlies after Judgment Day. You know, this this article also follows along. We don't have enough time to go through it, but uh, Walter's Law and Gospel, the first seven, eight theses, I was kind of reviewing those a little bit. And it speaks of the, the same thing about uh, making sure that we interpret the scriptures with, with the fullness of, of the law and the gospel in terms that people can understand. Yes. Uh, the, this article, by the way, was written by Ryan Tinetti. It is found in the spring 2019 edition of Concordia Journal, which is the official magazine for Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis. And he's a pastor in at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan, where he recently has completed his doctorate focusing on classical rhetoric and homiletics. And that's a subject 
where you learn how to make essays, sermons, etc. stick to people. So when they walk away from you, they have a thought that is in their mind and they want to share it with others. Others, yes. Another point that uh, he makes in the article that I think is worth mentioning is he says encouraging the, the people in the pew to read their Bibles during the week with the daily lectionary. Yes, and Concordia Publishing House, our publishing house, puts out a daily lectionary, and each week there are uh, tremendous passages that if you keep reading that, you will come to a pretty good understanding of Scripture uh, beyond just knowing what's in Scripture, but explaining it. And that also is found in the portals of prayer. What, what are the portals of prayer? Portals of Prayer are little daily devotions put out by CPH that uh, Monday through Sunday for a particular month or several months that uh, people can read, and it gives them, it's it's on a verse out of the Bible, plus it gives them uh, Bible passages to read during the week. Yeah, an example that I like talking about is somebody who has the curse of knowledge, your electric isn't working in the house, and so you call an electrician. He works on it for three hours and fixes it. And then he attempts to explain to you what he did. And you are totally clueless as to what he is talking about because he has a curse of knowledge. He forgets when he was ignorant of electricity and therefore doesn't speak to a layperson at the level where he was at once time ignorant and learned about it but he's using all kinds of words and phrases electricians know real well but the common person in the household doesn't right it's it's explaining it to him i call it the curse of the gas grill explain that (laughs) well we bought a gas uh, grill a couple years ago and i'm putting it together and i need my wife's help uh, an extra set of hands, and I said, connect it to the leg, and 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 I'll put the screw through the piece of metal. And she's looking at me like, what leg? What screw? Yes. What piece of metal? Well, I had read the diagram and the instructions, so I knew what was there, and I had to go through the process of showing her the pictures of what we were looking at and what we were going to put things together. Until I took that time to explain it to her, it was like Greek to her. Yeah, I discovered I had the curse of knowledge when I was trying to teach Sunday school to kids who were three, four, five, six years old. It's really hard for me to leave Mount Everest and get down to their level. But I had some Sunday school teachers that were able to do that because they could think like the kids were thinking. I'm, I'm much better with uh, teenagers, adult instruction, and, and sermons. So... Yeah. This was a very helpful article to help me see where things are I need to improve and also to help us understand the importance of preaching as Jesus did at the level of the people. Yeah, so it sticks with them. Well, it stuck with some of them so much that they hated what he said that they ended up crucifying him. And, of course, he rose from the dead And that means that all of our sins have been forgiven and that we receive that forgiveness not only in the waters of baptism, but also in the precious supper of our Lord.
Well said. Best said. So, next week, hopefully the phones will be working. <laughs> I hope so, too. And we'll uh, figure out a subject. Who knows what articles you and I will be reading. But we pastors, we're, we're kind of like doctors. You can't stop studying when you leave the school. You got to keep on going because there are a lot of new things. Uh, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls brought some new understanding of even the Bible. And unless you read about that, then you remain ignorant of where you are ignorant. Well said. Yeah, I agree. And new, new, new uh, false doctrines come up that really are nothing but old ones reworked. And that's an important. Uh, CBH has a whole studies about how to understand Mormonism and Islam, etc. And that's what they do. They show how these are just continuation of false teaching found in the early church, but then they give you insight as to how to speak to people who believe these things so that they can be brought to faith. You bet. Well, thanks so much. God willing, we'll be back next Thursday. Tomorrow's Open Mic Friday. Uh, maybe you have a question about what we were talking about today or the parable on Wednesday or the uh, hymn on Tuesday, or the reading on Monday. I'm Tom Baker, Law and Gospel Tomorrow, Open Mic Friday. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.